that I can look back now and say, I regret that. I don't have many regrets in my life, but that is a big regret. But I don't sit and mope about it. If I wasn't doing that and I was doing a job I hated, I'd be like, that would eat me up. But I got very lucky that I learned from it. You know, if you take a day off sick, no one's gonna pay your bills. You know, life can throw things at you and like, it doesn't care. There's no, there's no sympathy in it, you know? Yeah, I think everyone should work for free if you're gonna be creative. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. Today we have Adam Southwell on the show and we're talking content creation, how we got to where he is and his hard work that he's put in. I think it's a really, really good episode. Uh, it's a great one for people that are at university. Shows uh, shows his hard work through uni. It shows uh, how he can do stuff on the side as well as university and get to somewhere that he may not have been if he hadn't done that, get to further levels. Um, I really, really do admire people to do that on the side of university, and I think it's, it's a great conversation between me and Adam, um, and talking about content creation as well, because that's a new thing that we, we've only sort of, the word content, it's only sort of been around a couple of years now. So uh, yeah, we talk about that, talk about his, his journey, and yeah, I hope you enjoy the episode, it's a good one. If you're enjoying it, please do share it on social media, give it a like, give it a share, give it a subscribe on YouTube if you're on there, uh, or you can find it on the audio platforms, which you're listening to right now. If you do find on there, uh, a review on iTunes would be amazing, or, or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called, that'd be amazing. It uh, really does help us get up the rankings. So let me know your thoughts on this episode of the podcast, and I'll see you at the end. That's it. Welcome to the podcast. Can we, can we find out who, uh, who you are, and, and what's your name, and what you do? Yeah, yeah. So my name's Adam Southwell. Um, I have a company called ASM Limited. Um, and what I do is I'm essentially, I suppose, what I'm placed in the, the bracket of being almost a content creator. Um, so that basically means I just create digital marketing materials for uh, personalities or companies or anyone and anything that wants to have more engaging digital content, whether that be photography, videography, um, you know, motion graphics, graphic design, anything and everything really. Um, but with the kind of end goal of it going online. So primarily it's social media at the moment. Um, mm. And the main thing with that is just creating high quality content, but very, very fast. So that's kind of the thing that I'm kind of known for now is just being fast really with it. So yeah, that's kind of what I do. Nice, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll, come, we'll definitely get on to like uh, uh, sort of your journey and stuff, but like content creation's only sort of been about like, what, 10 years at the most? It's crazy. It's, it's, it's like the word content is, I never heard it when I was like growing up, like, oh, you could be a content creator. No, it definitely didn't exist. Cause I think 10 years ago, 2000, well, 2010 now is when I was just starting university. Well, September it would have been. And I went with the idea of, right, well, I don't really know what I want to do. I loved Photoshop at the time and videoing wasn't really a thing that was accessible it was kind of like maybe you've messed around with it in sixth form or college, but they didn't have like the kit to do it. It was all done on like handy cams with like mini DV tapes. Like we hadn't even gone to SD cards. And then when I went to university, it was the boom of um, DSLR video. And that just changed everything for everyone because it was like, well, now you can do both. You know, you could spend, okay, it might still cost you 700 pounds to get a good camera, but you could shoot stills and video using all the same kit. So 
I think that's, I saw that whole content thing start to grow. And then that longer form idea of that, sorry, longer form video, that slowly went away because it's like, well, people don't really want to pay to have someone come and do audio and lighting and video and all of those things. So it kind of just started to disappear gradually, but it's only, I'd say in the past, I don't know, four, four or five years, I've seen it where it's like, right, one person can do all of this. And that whole word of content now replaces the word of film and photography. It doesn't exist anymore, I don't think, as much. You know, more and more you see independents coming up and making, you know, incredible pieces of content on very small budgets. Yeah, I mean, obviously smartphones have helped that as well. Uh, I think the massive, the amazing cameras and the massive like uh, shift towards towards cameras on, on smartphones has been it's been amazing. Like some of the, I mean, what, what phone do you have as, as a content creator? I have the, I have this disgusting phone. It's an iPhone Seven. I'll switch up like it. Absolutely battered. Um, I've had this like since I started the company. Like, but yeah, I mean that's that's the beauty of what I do. I have cameras, but I would say yeah, more and more now you see people filming things on like I like the iPhone 11 or like the OnePlus or anything like that. You just think, man, my job is in jeopardy if I'm not careful. Like, someone could take my job without even knowing that they can. You know, the the videos I see. You know, Apple did their entire iPhone 11 campaign shooting it on iPhones. And you just think, that's ridiculous. I always think that's a bit of a, a bit of a, what's it called? A bit of a lie. Not a lie. It's not a full lie, but it's like a half lie. Because they have all the lighting, they have all the, like, the extra accessories around yeah, the camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but it still shows up. you the capabilities of it. And yeah. I would say with, you know, accessories and kit becoming more and more affordable you can just kit out an iPhone and yeah, you have incredible results. I do think that you can do that, definitely. Yeah, I think, uh, what would you say like uh, if someone rocked up with, with an iPhone though? That's my only worry. If, if you start a company and like rocked up with an iPhone to shoot something, I mean, as long as the work stands for itself, I guess, but. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I think with um, people using iPhones and, and things like that, it's it's all very well and good, but they have their limitations, you know? Um, I'm a big, big believer in helping people create the high-end stuff, like the high-end videos and high-end photography, but educating people and saying, but in the short term, because social media content is so quick, you need to be making things on your own. So I'd say I'm kind of on the fence with it. Obviously, I don't want someone who's doing my job to come up with an iPhone, because I think, no, people are paying for it. That's not that's not what they're paying for. But I do think everyday people, businesses, individuals sh- should learn how to use their phones to do it because they're always like, people, oh, what camera should I buy? I want to do this, I want to do that. It's like, don't, just save your money. Like, you can do it on that. You know, we're so used to seeing content now that big. You know, it always used to be about, oh, we want it 1080p, you know, but it's, it's that big. You don't even turn your phone anymore. You're just watching it like that. You don't need it for the everyday stuff. And then when you've got those bigger campaigns or just to intersperse it, then yeah, you would pay someone to come and do that on a bigger camera that they forked out for. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by um, cinematography as well, like in, in cinemas, like uh, in, in like proper movies. I was watching um, 1917 yesterday and it, oh my God, it's incredible. The, the, new, the new war film, um, the, the, the footage is, I saw, saw some of the behind the scenes of how they shot it uh, and, and like, because it's, it's filmed by the same guy that filmed Skyfall, the, the director, Shawn Mendes. And it, 
some of the camera flips, like the 360s of, of the actors and stuff, and just in the trench, it's just, man, it's, it's so cool. But you see the behind the scenes, it's got those massive boom mics and yeah, um, yeah. Like all on trucks and everything. It's, the production value is incredible. But I mean, like even for someone, like say, sitting at home and trying to try, maybe even just like someone's kid trying to do something in the garden, filming something like that, having an iPhone now, it's, it's like the Casey Neistat effect, where it's like you can literally make anything and, it, and it's it's such a good like a wonder <laughs> no definitely and like you mentioned like Casey Nice that like the year like the start of the year that I started the business I was fixated with watching him like yeah I was that generation that just watched him daily vlog like I'd be sat in my nine-to-five job waiting for him to upload it because it was just one of those things just like this guy's getting paid millions to do it and he's doing it on like a thing it was like a 70D, which is, you know, kind of a basic entry level camera really. But the stuff he was doing was just somehow mind blowing because it was just so ordinary, you know? And it was just so about like, God, he looks like he's having a cool life and, and all of this. And so, yeah, I think there's two ends of the spectrum, you know, like that 1917 film, it's like, you know, I've seen that the big thing they're pushing in that is they just do continuous shots, which is an art on every level. But then you've got people like Casey Neistat or any creative now basically is a rip-off of that, including myself, is where it's like, it's lots of quick cuts and it's, oh, let's reshoot this that way. And so no, I think the whole spectrum of video and cinematography has changed completely. It's not how when I came up doing media, where it's like, right, we're going to look at the mise-en-scene. So what's in this shot to make you think that, you know, less and less, well, I don't think it does exist now, where A-level and GCSE media students will be looking at something saying right well how's he composed that shot and stuff i don't think people necessarily look at that as much they're not always thinking i want to get into film i think now people are thinking i want to get into social media or i want to be an influencer and so you will just end up mimicking what everyone else is doing because that's what's trending at the moment so it's a very complicated spectrum of it i always think yeah i, I think it's really interesting this change that we're seeing in, in going more towards social media that people want to get into social media like that didn't like when I was growing up I was in school and stuff I did media in in college it didn't exist so it's it's yeah like you say it's really interesting even from graphic design perspective that's more sort of my background is um it's yeah yeah I mean now I'm designing stuff for football clubs that's going to be used for one day and then that's it it's gone so it's it's just like a one use like a really quick turnout uh, it's just yeah it's it's really interesting how fast paced it's got uh, and, and obviously Instagram stories and people creating stuff just for just for 24 100%. hours I mean I would say literally that is 80% of my income is making things that disappear yeah. which is a blessing and a curse because it means okay you're getting regular work because people you can't just do one one's not enough one won't last you half a day so you end up having a lot so I think it, it is a blessing and a curse and I think say like you know if you for example a graphic designer I can't imagine how hard it must be to get into an agency now where, you know, Adobe is becoming more and more easy to access legally, you know, where you can actually pay and rent it per month. And, you know, you used to have Photoshop for five quid a month. Like, so there's more and more people learning how to use Photoshop and Illustrator and even Premiere and all that. So to now get a job in an agency, I think that must be 10 times harder because now everyone's got a degree now everyone's got a master's it's like your portfolio is the key and I just think that's why I think it's a blessing in the case that where you can set up on your own and you can churn out content again fast for people so I think it, it has its massive pros and cons but I think that's it everything now is aimed for social media you know it's everyone's thinking 
this is going to go online, not websites as much. It's our social media campaign. So it's it's mad how it's changed. It's crazy. I mean, I feel very, you know, I've worked my ass off, but I feel very lucky that I entered it at the time I did, which was at the rise of it. Because I think now trying to jump on that, you've got to compete with everyone else that came before you. So yeah, it's an interesting yeah, landscape of, of work now. Yeah, so I mean, from from a degree side of it, yeah, definitely graphic graphic designers going into university, like you say, it's it's hard. Um, and I guess that's anyone, like even even your line of work where it's it's creating content, you want to go into sort of a sports media agency and create films for them. Uh, you got to they're more looking for the portfolio these days, and and that's shifted from having a degree to portfolio because so many people do have degrees, or uh, or they're just as good as they don't have degrees. So it's yeah, it really depends on the portfolio and. It's, um, how Adobe has opened it up so it's, it is accessible for everyone and um, even just cheaper graphic design software I mean, if you can't afford the sort of 50 quid a month but it's, yeah it's, uh, it's amazing but uh, so let's talk about your story how do you get uh, into this and how did you start what, what's your sort of education path yeah interesting one so I think from about the age of 15 my dad was a freelance graphic designer so I'd always been brought up around Macintosh like the big buggers like them big transparent blue things and like so i was always fascinated with that but he came from like an art background so he kind of had both of those abilities to he was the generation that was forced to go digital so he's kind of doing it and then scanning it in and all that so i kind of learned how to use that from him quite an early age actually so i was introduced to like you i don't know you, you've probably heard of quark maybe yeah, yeah. like yeah. yeah that's old exactly heard of it don't use it but it's like you know i learned all those things from a really early age so then when i got to gcse media i was just obsessed with like wanting to make things always being quite creative and then digital cameras became quite accessible so you know did like do like cd covers in like gcse media and stuff and i just became hooked on that and then did my gcse's uh, did well and then went to sixth form I didn't really know what I wanted to do in my life at that point. Um, it's a bit of a weird one because my dad passed away that summer in my GCSE, so I kind of just lost interest in everything. I was just like, oh, I can't be asked. I've worked five years now in education. I'm done. Like, I just want a job. I just want to make money. But my mum was like, no, 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 no. You need to go six form. So I went six form, and I was like, right, well, I'll pick up media, business, English, and history. I failed English and history, unsurprisingly, but. Stuck at business, stuck at media, and then I picked up film and interactive media is BTEX. And I just just loved it. I just, I don't know, I kind of got a love for education again, I think, and and making things. And I was, I I kind of, I wouldn't, that's how I'm big-headed. I did excel at it because it was what I was good at. Um, and then, you know, we had uh, IMAX there, so I was introduced to iMovie and how easy it was to make things, you know. So did that, uh, did well, and then... Yeah, university obviously comes around, wasn't interested in that. Again, again, my mum was like, no, you need to go. So went, but it was so hard at the time to find a course that did what I do now. So I looked at loads of universities and it was either multimedia, which was kind of making websites really at the heart of it with coding. And I haven't got an aptitude for that at all in terms of coding and stuff. But I managed to find a degree at Sheffield Hallam, which was brand new digital media, and it just covered everything. So you kind of dipped your toes across everything. So photography, videography, you know, web design was there with coding, graphic design, audio recording. And then within all of that, you picked up things about lighting and, and, and things. 
So I kind of did that for three years and then I decided to stay on an extra year. They offered an MR, which is where you say, well, what you do is you're going to drop your BA, but you do one more year, we'll give you the equivalent to a master's. So I was like, well, you know what? I quite enjoy uni life. Why not? So stayed around for another year, did that. And I just, I think that was the year I was like, I love, like, I love this. Like I wasn't really bothered at first, but I've always had in the back of my mind, I've got to get a job at some point and I want it to be in what I love doing. And moving back to what we said before, where it was only about film or photography or graphic design, I wasn't really kind of an expert in anything. Do you know what I mean? I was good at them all, but I hadn't yeah, quite yeah, mastered like master anything. Of, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like jack of all trades sort of thing. Exactly. And I'd been working for like nightclub promotions at the time um, for like three years. And that was exactly where I learned how to pick up an SLR and start making videos with that because they were like, well, you're dead excited to do this. We'll give you this. I did that for four years. And whilst I would never, ever go back in another nightclub in the same way again, those four years of working a thousand hours across that was the best four years experience I had, as well as university. Because my portfolio went from this to like this in the space of four years. And I opened up so many doors, you know, within promotions and stuff. And I worked with some great people. But then when it came to graduating, I didn't really have... You know, there wasn't a creative job. This thing of working for an agency was a dream. You know, it was a big dream to have. And Sheffield didn't really have a lot of them. They were quite small and and didn't really want new people in. So I ended up taking a job in the strangest of places. And it's always a weird one when I say it because people don't understand it. I worked for a company that essentially streamed funerals online. So, right. yeah, I know. Yeah, weird job. <laughs> but when... She, how it worked is, you know, you basically, if you lived in Australia, for example, I'd passed away, but you couldn't make it to my funeral. There's cameras put into chapels and stuff where you can stream it online. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it wasn't the most exciting of jobs, but, you know, it was great because I worked in an office with money, um, worked with some great people, and they were really good at encouraging you to do stuff outside of work as well. But I got to learn about streaming online, you know, because if you take away the context of it, it's essentially streaming online and how the technologies yeah, yeah, yeah. were and bit rates and all that technical stuff. So that was great. But after a year, I was like, I can't do this. This is, I'm depressed. I can't, can't watch any more funerals, man. So I left and then I ended up getting a job in Toyota and um, doing there. Again, I was a videographer and I would essentially be given a car for a week and I would have to make a review about that car. That's wicked. I might have to stop a minute because I have to break the other bits down because I, 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 there's so much stuff I need to, I need to think about. And, and yeah, yeah, of course. Sorry. So back to college, I think it was. <laughs> the drive, you, you were doing nightclub stuff. Oh, that, was, that was university, wasn't it? That was university. I did nightclub stuff. The, oh, no, that was about the, uh, the drive to find something, to find a job that you liked. Like, why? Because a lot of stuff that I've been taught by my parents and grandparents and generations before us would have been thought thinking, okay, we'll get through education and get any job you can to pay the bills. What do you think shifted in sort of our generation? Actually, how old are you for the start? Because um, I'm 29, I'm 30 this year. Cool. It's a very sensitive uh, subject. <laughs> right. So what do you think shifted in our generations of like, we need to get a job we like and like what's, because that's something I think has only just come out recently. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm not a massive believer in getting a job you like from day one. So 
I've always been brought up in having an insane work ethic. Like from, I've always wanted to work because I'm not really scared of most things in life. But the one thing I'm scared of is is kind of not having money to support myself or one day have a family. And I'm I'm scared of like bills. I'm scared of the tax, man. I'm scared of boring stuff. So I've always had that work ethic in me where I'm like, well, I need money to buy nice things or to buy a house one day or a car or whatever. So no, I wasn't, I don't really think I've ever had that of you do something you love. I think by doing jobs that help pay the bills that then help you grow your interest, like buying cameras is not a cheap hobby. You need a job. You know, I worked in Topman, garages, anywhere and everything to buy my first camera, to buy my first MacBook. You know, people have them now because it's just accessible and cheaper, but it's like, that wasn't a thing. A MacBook was two grand back in the day and I was to have it that big. So I've always just thought, you work in whatever you can work because I don't, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with going on job seekers or anything like that. But I was like, well, I've graduated. I've got a degree. I'm smart enough to get a job. I'm not going to sit on my backside. And, you know, that job at the time, you know, that I took after graduating wasn't what I wanted to do, but it had a salary. It was remotely linked to video in the web. So it made sense, you know. Where does this drive come from, though? Like you're saying, uh, you always had this work work ethic, but uh, what's yeah, what's installed it? I think from watching my dad work, like when you're freelancing, there is no nine to five. You know, if you take a day off sick, no one's going to pay your bills. You know, life can throw things at you, and like it doesn't care. There's no there's no sympathy in it. You know, like so I've always just thought, well okay, sometimes you're physically unable to work and stuff, but when you can, you should. I, I, I don't know. I've just, I just love working. I, I always have. And I think I'm very lucky that I get to work on something that I do love now. But, you know, even working in Topman, like, that was the coolest thing in my world at that time, you know, and it's money. That, that's what I've always just thought is, like, work helps you do things you want to do. If you don't want to do anything, then fine, don't work. Like, but I do want to do things and I do want to save for my future and have an office and I don't know I've just always seen a bigger picture I guess even in university you know that's why I worked in promotions because I was like well I do like going out you know I'm a student but I would like to buy a camera and have more money I was I had friends that were just living on credit cards I was like I can't do that you know I don't want to go overdraw and it's like oh it's fine like no 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 I don't want to do that you know I've never had that thing, and I'm not rich by any stretch. I am not rich. I'm just very conscious of being sensible with with things like that. That's all. So I don't know. I think it is kind of just born into you a bit. I think work ethic. I think you have it or you don't. But you can teach yourself to be like that. I think. Yeah, I, I think personally, I think I've learned most of most of my work ethic from people I watched online. Like I said, like Casey Neistat. Like sometimes you watch his videos and you're like, I need to go and do something. <laughs> Exactly. I feel like, like I've been inspired now. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. And I was, I was that. I remember, you know, working in Toyota, watching those videos, thinking, I need to do something. Like, I can do that. Like, and then you pick up little projects uh, that are unpaid and, and things like that. I was just like, yeah, I can do this. This is doable. Like, it's just finding the people who need it. So, so the, the um, nightclub stuff, you're doing it on your own back at university, yeah? Yeah, so I went and worked for uh, a company that was at a time called Sheffield Parties, and they were like the biggest in promotions at the time. Met literally probably about, I don't know, 
10 of my friends for life there. You know, I was very close to leaving university because I wasn't sold on the course initially. And then I found this job and I just thought, nah, these these guys are great. You know, they, they believe in what I'm doing. So I met, yeah, a few of my really close friends now from there and just worked for them. And they just literally kind of handed the keys over. You know, my work ethic, I would say, was kind of realized there in the sense that they would give me unreasonable deadlines. And like my bosses would agree with me saying this now. It's like, it was just ridiculous. They're like, well, we need this by tomorrow morning. I'd be like, are you joking me? It's two o'clock in the morning. But that was when social media was starting to really take off where Facebook was, wasn't just about updating your friends about what you're doing. It was about businesses letting you know about events and being the first to show you content. So we were kind of, a, I'd say the forefront of it, especially in Sheffield, there was no one doing what we were doing, where we were filming videos. I was literally working through the night in their office, sat in a sleeping bag because it was so cold, like working away. But it was great because we were just making things for people to watch. So. Yeah, I'd say that's where my like, work ethic was born. They just gave me so many opportunities to do it. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. And it, the fact that you did that, like you wanted to go and do that whilst at university as well, that's, that just shows something else. Because a lot of people just, they seem to go out partying all the time. And maybe it's a bit different in like second, third year. But uh, like pe people do just go out all the time. And, and there's not that many people that go and get another job or, or work and have this ethic. So it's awesome. No, and I do, I think there are times where I look back and think, my God, I literally sacrificed my uni lifestyle. But having said that, I like, I still use some of those pieces of work on my portfolio. Like the gigs we did, the artists we work with, it was incredible, you know. And yeah, I, would, I was probably brain dead by the end of it. You know, I've inherited <laughs> bags under my eyes that will not leave. <laughs> but I wouldn't have changed it for the world because we were, yeah, literally felt like we were kind of living the dream at that point. So yeah very good experience to do that nice and so then going on to the funeral uh yeah streaming um yeah. so what what year was this like what one did that you, was you, 2000 and so i started in 2014 that would have been september 2014 i worked there for a year yeah in sheffield so youtube was well around by then and how what platform are you using to stream the, the funerals so they were doing it, so like these guys, and they're still doing it today, they're a great company. They, they created their own platform. We weren't using any third party thing. They had all the encoders, they were building the encoders there, all the cameras, everything. So they were doing it all on their own platform. Um, and I think, you know, again, it was the early days where initially they were doing it on like 240p cameras and it could have been anyone's funeral that you were watching. But, you know, I was kind of there when we were doing it. And my boss, who's a great guy, James, he was like, right, we need to change this. Otherwise, this he's very good at being transparent and informing you how business works. He's like, if we don't improve this, this business is going to fail, end of, because everything's crashing, blah, blah, blah. So he just took a load of investment, bought loads of new kit, hired all the right people. And it was only about a team of five of us, but... Honestly, again, you'd be surprised. It was a great. It was a great job because of the people we were working with, and I got to learn how cameras work and how they're streamed and the technical bits that like bit rates that you don't even think about. You just take well, my camera's got ten bit rate. I don't know what that is, but great. You know, you learn all about that. So when it came to doing stuff later on in my life with online video, I had a much better understanding of it. So yeah, it was an interesting job. I, I wouldn't, you know, say in terms of excitement. But in education, it was 
one of the best shelves I've ever had, definitely. That's awesome. And, and so, did they did they originally go into streaming because they could have streamed anything, right? They, did they originally go into streaming funerals because they thought that because yeah. Wow. Well, there's only two. I don't know how what it is now, but there was only two companies that were doing it at the time, and they were number two. And by the time I left, they were number one. So yeah, I think that's it's a niche, isn't it? I mean, it's business at the end of the day. People will find something, and unfortunately, there's a few guarantees in life that we'll all be born and we'll all die, and there's money in that. You know, same with weddings. We'll in theory all get married. That's why people charge because it's like it's a once in a lifetime opportunity, apparently. So, yeah, it's a business decision, but it was it was the right one for them, and they do a really good job, and they're very good with handling bereavement and families and stuff. So, yeah, it was a good job. And I learned so much about, like, customer service from them as well. You know, dealing with that, such a tricky topic to approach with someone and still be technically minded. It's, yeah. So, no, it was a great job, though. Great job. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really, that's actually really interesting to learn about that, because I've never really thought of streaming a funeral. That's, uh, yeah. Um, so moving on to the, the Toyota stuff, uh, how, so how did you get a job at Toyota? Uh, that's, that's big. I just applied. I saw a job because Toyota work on franchises. So there was a franchise that looked after all of South Yorkshire um, and they were looking for somebody um, to kind of help them with their social and, and their video. So um, again, I was like, well, I've got videography skills. I bought like a Sony A7S when that first came out at the time on credit. So I was like, you know, I can do all these things and stuff. So the application process is probably the the hardest part of it because they were like, right, well, what we want you to do is go out and make a video uh, review on a car. So we want you to do your job, what your job will be. Yeah. And at the time I had like a Ford Fiesta 2000 and it was just, it was just crap. You know, I was like, this isn't going to get, and you know, I'm sure they would, they weren't the type of people to judge you on what car you had because obviously work is about improving your life. But I was like, no, this is no good. So I went out and hired a car. I hired like a Mazda Summit or whatever. and took it in the Peak District. I just shoved like GoPros on it and got out. That's awesome. That's so good. It, did it again. Yeah. So just literally just chucked the kitchen sink at it. And, you know, for the 80 quid it cost me to hire the car, I was like, if I get the job, great. That'd be perfect. If I don't, it's more CV stuff. And then, yeah, they were just impressed that I'd gone out and actually hired a car. Um, and obviously, I was good at, you know, filming. So they were like, yeah, let's come work for that. So, yeah, it was a great job. Really good job. It's those, it's those extra bits that get you the job, isn't it? Like, the, like you say, hiring a car, you could have done it in your own car, but like going out and hiring a, a really nice car and then like just thinking about the extra things. I mean, it's just, it's just they are the bits that get people remember you by. Um, I think that's, that's a really important tip for, like, for people going into job interviews and stuff. If you can leave them with something or if you can like, make them remember you in some way, that's such a good bit of advice. Yeah. So you're watching Casey and I sat whilst at the job, um, yeah. like, getting inspiration from him. What's, what happened from there? What, what, what were we doing for them? So whilst I was working at Toyota, I was working away on what is now ASM. So I was still doing the odd nights for like, the nightclub promotion stuff just to keep me ticking over was just extra cash and then i picked up a couple of weddings I didn't really want to do them but i was like there's money in them it's more experienced don't know where this is going to go and i was just always toying with this idea of i one day want to work for myself and then i don't know how no that's what it was one of my friends from the nightclub promotions moved back to london and he knew a lady there who got into vlogging and vlogging was kind of 
taking off a bit then. And he was like, she's got investors behind her. She's paying someone to film it, but he won't edit it. He needs, they need someone to edit it. So will you take a look at it? I was like, yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, definitely. So he sent me the footage, edited it, did it for like 50 quid or whatever. And then she was like, she rang me um, a couple of months later after doing a few kind of helping her out. She then rang me and she was like, I love this. This is great. She's like, the problem is, is that I need these doing like every week. And I was, I was burning the work at both ends of that. I was gone. Like, cause I was trying to have a life on the weekend with my mates. Cause I was working from seven till five coming in, sleeping into bed and then working till late. And I was like, I don't know if I can, if I can do this to be honest. And I thought about it for a couple of days. And then she said, well, how about if I offer you a retainer? And she was like, and like being completely transparent, she was like, I'll give you a thousand pounds a month if you edit 10 videos a month for me. It was like a hundred pound a video. I was like, but then I just, I slept on it overnight. I spoke to my best friend who I'd known for years. And he was like, I think you should just do it. Just take the plunge, mate, just do it. And then I did, I did, I took the plunge. I kind of handed my notice in, rang my mum. I was like, listen, I need to move home because I want to start a business. And she was great, dead supportive. She was like, you know, if that's what you want to do, fine. And because there was that guarantee of money there, it was like, cool, I've got that. That's a starting point. I'm gonna have to do that to get that thousand pounds a month, but that's a starting point and that's a good starting point. Because even after tax, that's 800, it's like, cool, I can live, that's fine. I can do that. And I had that secured for six months. We signed a six month agreement. And then yeah, the rest is kind of history. It just grew from there. But yeah, that was my initial job and forever grateful to that lady for giving me that money because it was the one thing I was like, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a baby when it comes to stuff like that. I'm like, oh, I can't do it because I haven't got any money. And she gave me that guarantee. So it was kind of like a wage almost. I was like, right, that's six months work, work, work worth of work sorted. Let's go from there. And then, yeah, just grow from there. Nice. Well, we're definitely going to get into some of the other stuff you've done. But uh, the, you can't say that. You can't say that it grew from there and that was it and just leave it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's a lesson in itself. It's taking something that, uh, you know, it's not your weddings aren't your mate. Uh, vlogs and stuff. It's not. I don't know. It's not like with designers. You have to design stuff you don't always want to do. Um, always. Yeah. But but you do do it to get the money, like you say, like the vlog editing. And oh, did she have an interesting life, like the vlogs? Like was it was it interesting vlogs? Yeah, yeah. I mean, she was working in London, so anything's interesting in London. You know, she was doing a lot of kind of like PR events and. And stuff. So yeah, it was interesting to to an extent, but it all becomes work at the end of the day. You know, it's yeah. like, well, it's good for her, but I need to edit this time thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, but like, there's there's something about I've been to designers, but there's something about like, doing this work where you're doing it for the money, and eventually you 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 work your way up to the stuff that you really want to do, like the AJ stuff for yourself, I guess. Like, you do it just does all become experience. It's all this ladder that just works itself up, and just. It's interesting to hear different people's sort of ladders and different people's stories and how they work themselves up to it. So what's along the way, working yourself up to the, the AJ fight and we'll talk about how you got that and stuff, I guess. But like, what, what, along the way, what's been struggles? What, what have you found hard running your own business? I think initially the one thing I was really struggling with was kind of having that business mentality. And it's actually only at the end of last year, having worked with so many people in so many different industries, I'd say I've now got that kind of business attitude behind me 
you know, I've done loads of exciting things and, and I'm forever grateful for doing that. But I'd say experiences only get you so far. I think there's got to come a point of like, if I want to do this, and I mean properly, I need to be working the right amount, you know, that's kind of healthy for me and charging the correct amount. So I'd say that was like the, the thing that I've always struggled with. I'm too nice to be like, oh yeah, it's fine, don't worry, I'll just do it for X amount. And it's the completely wrong amount. You know, I'm very, very fair in how I price things. I see a lot of people do what I do and it's like two grand. It's like, well, that's just stupid. You're taking the mick out of someone with that. I don't <laughs> believe in that. I believe in charging fairly and being transparent with it. But there's a, you know, there's a limit. Things cost money. So I'd say that was probably number one. But then number two was probably very early days. I was too busy looking at what everyone else had in terms of equipment and trying to match that. I'm mm. thinking, well, I want that like Philip Bloom or Casey Neistat, I was like, well, they, they've got like a gimbal. Like, I need a gimbal. Like, oh, he's got 10 lights. I need that. But you're forgetting at the time I was 25 and it's like, well, they're 34. There's 10 years difference there. There's 10 years of experience. There's 10 years of saving and investment and work. You can't just jump to the end place. Do you know what I mean? And also thinking, well, do you need a gimbal? Has anyone asked you if you ever need one? No, right, well, don't worry about it then you know, come to that point when you need it. So I'd say those are the biggest struggles is, is yeah, being that business mind and while still being creative and not losing the passion for it, but also this whole obsession with kit that every videographer and photographer seems to have. Yeah. Yeah, they do. I think even designers have it for a while. But my sister's, um, my sister's 18. She's uh, starting her own photography business alongside working uh, at a school as a photographer, um, which is, She's doing amazingly. So it's in this room, we've got like a, a mini design studio for me. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just like a desk. And then down that end, it's all my sister's photography stuff. And then yeah. we've got like a living room bit as well. <laughs> so it's, it, it's, it's a really cool place. But um, she has she's like constantly got photo shoots on. And, but she, yeah, like you say, she's always worrying about kit and always worrying about other people's stuff. But like, how'd you go? How'd you go over that? How'd you go over like worrying about what other people have got? Um, well, I've always like, I was using... Like, I won't get too nerdy, but like I was using like a Canon 7D for like the first four years. And I, that wasn't, no one was paying me then. I just wanted a camera. You know, that was when I was in uni from my second year, right up until my first year of working for uh, Obertus, which was the, the funeral company. Um, and then I kind of thought, well, I do want to do more weddings and I do want to grow this alongside working. So it makes sense to get a new camera and that camera was limited in terms of frame rates and colors and all that. So this A7S had just come out, which was like, has changed the way we look at video for better or for worse, it has. And I was like, right, well, Jessup's are doing it on 0% finance, I'm gonna go get it. So I took a massive dive and just did that. But then, you know, same again, I had that camera. I've still got that camera. I still use that camera today, you know? And I think, I, th I think that's it. When you, when you start getting work, from what using what you think is rubbish gear. You know, cause I was using that camera and I had two lenses that, you know, they weren't prime lenses. They weren't, they, I bought them secondhand on eBay. I was like, oh, I still look a bit of an amateur. But when you're delivering stuff to people and they're like, that is incredible. Like you think, okay, maybe I don't need that. You know, like the first wedding I ever shot, I shot on that A7S with two lenses, one tripod and a shotgun mic and that's it. And I think if you set people's expectations in terms of how you're doing things and and stuff, it then just becomes kind of easy in that sense. I think like as a creative, like I work with people 
who would look at that and go, oh, I see what you've done there. You've tried to like cover that up or like or something because of a limitation of a camera or something. But then you show it to the everyday person. No one's going to notice that you've chucked warp stabilizer on an effect. It's like, so I think you've just got to look at your clientele or your potential clients and think, right, what are they realistically expecting? And also, if I'm honest with them and set their expectations with them, no one can ever push back on you. So that removes that fear of, oh, I don't want them to not be happy. Don't promise them something that you can't deliver. Promise them what you can deliver. And then with that, time goes on, work will come in, and then you can grow that kit. And then, you know, I look at where I am four years on, and like, you know, there's like two bookcases worth of kit there, half of which I don't use, but it's like I've needed it for one job and I've been able to buy it, which is great. And that's how you grow it. But, you know, day to day, it's one camera and two lenses. It's, it's, and that's because of social media again, going back to that. So I would just always say, don't worry about what anyone else is doing. Worry what you're doing, because realistically, that's all that matters. Nice. Yeah, I think you're right. And my sister's always up, like, I think of, with 18-year-olds and especially girls, there's, there's an issue with social media, um, like looking at what other people have got, I and mean, not just on business terms, but, like, just, just I think this is young generation and a bit worried about. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. But, but, yeah, I'm also interested, because as you grow a business, you do have to you, you put prices you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to but you put prices up and like you have to figure out your hourly rate and you have to figure out like proper prices so you, i think it'd be uh, in, important for a young designer as well how have you worked out your hourly rate and how like what do you take into consideration i'm rubbish at it i'm absolutely terrible at it <laughs> like people say how much would this cost i'll be like uh can i email you a quote because i have to think about it for like three hours i mean it I suppose with, with graphic design and video, they're not a million miles away. Some projects I'd say are perhaps more ambitious in both fields. From a video point of view, it depends on the client. See, I'm a big believer at the moment. I'm a big focus this year is working with local and smaller businesses in my area. So I can't go to them and say, right, a day shoot is gonna cost you a thousand pounds. It's just not realistic. No one in this area has that money. I wouldn't have that money to spend on anything. You know, so. I look at it as, I look at the project itself in terms of what they're doing and the client, because there is a limit, obviously. I can't just say, oh, don't worry, give me a hundred pounds for a day. I, you have to be prepared that someone's gonna, that you just won't get that job. There's a limit I have in my mind. And I'm like, well, I can go to that. It's a bit like bargaining in what I do, because there's always someone who's gonna do it cheaper than you. And it might not be as good, but the client probably doesn't actually care because they go, well, it's better than what we could do. So it's that constant balancing act. You're never going to get what you're actually worth, I don't think, personally, because there is always someone who will undercut you, like I probably did back four years ago. I probably undercut everyone. So I would say the way I do it is just look at the project itself, the time it's going to take you in terms of video to film it, to edit it roughly, and then do look at the client and also think about repeat business. That's my biggest thing. I as much as I've got that in me now to go and find new clients, I also don't want to be doing it. You know, it takes away a lot of time from, you know, either marketing yourself or accounts or doing the editing. I don't want to be sat looking for new clients and stuff. I'm happy for clients to approach me and that's great and that grows the business. But I would much rather keep that revenue coming in from an existing client where we have a good working relationship and that just ticks it over.
So yeah, doesn't really answer your question at all about how to work out your hourly rate, but I suppose there's just so many factors to put in. Obviously your basics of rent, you know, like I rent an office, that's got to come into it. Electricity, Adobe, that, you know, takes a chunk of money, insurance. Just, even though it sounds boring, you have to do that if you want to get an accurate number. Because you could say, oh, I'm going to charge 400 quid for a job. Well, that might not actually be anywhere near enough. If that's going to be your only job that month, you know, so it's tough. I think it only comes through making a lot of mistakes and being underpaid or not paid at all. Like I've done work for free in a, when you break it down hourly, it's free. But even like, even actually free work, like even when you don't charge them any money, like, have you done stuff like that yet? Oh, 100%. I don't have, I, I think I put a tweet out recently where I just don't have time for people that have never worked or don't think they should work for free. I don't believe in that. I think it's narrow-minded and without sounding like I'm going to turn 30. I think it's a younger person's thing of, well, I don't want to do that. Because again, they want to get from point A to point B without doing the middle. And it's like, well, you can't. Like, again, looking at social media. Yeah, but nah, forget him. Like, even me, I'm nowhere near the level I want to be at. But there's a couple of people like that from going to university and, and visiting and doing guest talks there. You hear them say, yeah, but how did you get that? It's like, well, it's not just one email. That's five, well, even going back to starting university, that's 10 years worth of work that you're skipping out. That is never going to just come from you having an expensive camera. No one cares. Everyone's got an expensive camera. I could rent one today. So, yeah, it's, it's a frustration, but I think, and it, it sucks from time to time. You think, God, I've done all this work. And I've got paid nothing. But the money it will pay you later on in life is ridiculous. So, yeah, I think everyone should work for free if you're going to be creative. Yeah, I think it's important. I think it's it's part of the, like I talk. I always talk about ladders. It's definitely part of the ladder. At the start of the ladder. Um, you can always you know there's there's opportunities that should, you should just take to build up your portfolio with. Um, and yeah, I think it's it's definitely beneficial. And I would say more and more, your portfolio is more important than any degree or qualification. Like, I, I have friends who work in the creative industry who have no degrees in media and they're bloody amazing. It, you know, it's not, it helps. And again, it's another thing to have in your back pocket. But if you've got an incredible portfolio, I want to know you can do the job. I don't care if a piece of paper tells you you can do the job because no one's ever asked to see my degree. And I've had two jobs and no one's ever checked it. So it can't mean everything, can it? Whereas if your portfolio and you as a person will get you in the door, I reckon. True, true. Exactly. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, that's my philosophy. I didn't go to university at all. But, uh, yeah, so how did you get this AJ job? How did you get the... <laughs> right, everyone always comes back to this, this one guy. So... <laughs> For people so, who don't know, Anthony Joshua is, is like a British heavyweight boxer and um, you did some work like around his fight. Yeah, so... Yeah, from an outsider's point of view, that's how it looks like. So when I was... When I went freelance, I then came across... Um, a couple of guys who'd started this online football kind of coaching thing called Talent Ain't Enough. Some top blokes there, again, pushed my work ethic to its limits, but forever grateful that they did. And um, kind of got that through just being on social media. Someone sent me a link saying, oh, this guy I follow called Jamie Velocity online, he's looking for a videographer. Um, so I was like, oh, right. And like from a get-go, I do not like sport. I'm not interested in it in the slightest. I'm not beyond me. I'm rubbish at PE, not interested. But I love making stuff. So I was like, all right, great. I'd always wanted to go into music, but I was like, 
that's not going to happen anytime soon. So DM'd him thinking, oh, something might come of this. And um, yeah, surprisingly, he got back to me pretty much uh, straight away. Um, went down to Birmingham to meet him, did a, like a, a test shoot for free, just showed him what I could do. Edited it that same night, sent it back the same night, and that like Sean, who was Jamie's business partner, was like, "Oh, this is incredible!" Type thing, sent it back, and then that went off from there. So I did loads of shoots down in Birmingham with them, and Jamie is AJ strength condition and um, strength and conditioning coach. So as part of our online series with Tani Enough, we interviewed kind of because Jamie trains some incredible people, and he's he's insane at what he does, like in terms of his knowledge of, you know, strength conditioning and, and sport, but also he's used and harnessed social media to get incredible clients from like Marcus Rashford to Auntie Joshua. So he was like, oh, well, let's interview AJ for our online video series. So we did that and that was very early on. It was before he'd fought Klitschko or had like, you know, what I've seen are his big fights. Um, so he went down to London, filmed that, it was great filmed him training and then cut that up with an interview and that was it. And then I think it must've been about eight months later, AJ kind of gained more kind of um, celebrity status, I guess is the word, I guess. And they were growing that brand. And they then contacted Jamie saying, oh, the photographer, because I work with a photographer as well, he's a good friend. Um, that photographer and that videographer, would they help us do some training videos for his online thing and they was like can you do this I was like yeah 100 percent. let's do it so went down to london shot that and yeah that was kind of it really for a few months i didn't really do anything again in terms of sport apart from the talent ain't enough stuff which was like online football coaching didn't really do anything and then uh an agency in london called soapbox london contacted uh, I think it must have been Jamie again saying, who did you use to do that? Because they look after AJ's PR and social media. And they contacted him saying, oh, who who did that for you and the photos and, and stuff? And Jamie's like, oh, it's this guy and this guy, blah, blah, blah. And then they were like, oh, well, we need someone to go to Hong Kong to film. Uh, there's this, oh, I forgot what they're called. But it was it's basically where they bring um, retired footballers together who have kind of played like um, football and I'm now retired and they formed like a little, like a super sevens type thing. And in Hong Kong, they have this tournament where loads of countries or just random teams can enter. And they're like, they want a documentary filming and they've asked us to do it for them. So Jamie was like, yeah, I'll put you in touch with him. So fair play, he passed the work on to me and yeah, I had a phone call with them. And then the next thing you know, I was on my first international job in Hong Kong. I mean, again, filming something I didn't really understand, but I was like, it's an international job, it paid money, and it was experience I've just never had before. So then that, sorry, so then that kind of got me into on their books. And then through that, you know, I've been very lucky that I've got to work with some great people in sport, you know, had some life-changing experiences, you know, through that. Um, and then, yeah, so I suppose that's how that AJ thing kind of came about, you know. I mean, I still do bits with them now, not in terms of with, with AJ. I actually do more work now for Matchroom, which is Eddie Hearn's promotions company. So all the boxing stuff typically is now done through that. But yeah, obviously I do their social medias on the night. So, you know, film little bits in the changing rooms or of the fight itself, quickly run back, edit it, push it out and then go out again. So yeah, so I've been very, very, very lucky 
to have had those experiences so early on in my career. I mean, again, it does. I, I think hard work is what is what brings you luck. I think if you're not hard working, that luck will never come. You know, I was. I contacted Jamie initially, and then I proved to him that I work my ass off. And to be fair, he gave me an opportunity, even though I had no interest in sport or anything. He saw my ability. So yeah, no, it's just yeah, it's it's gone from there. And Soapbox have been a great agency to work with. Incredible group of guys. I even went and worked for them for six months um, to take a break from freelancing. And yeah, it's just been great. That's incredible. And it got me so excited like the hearing that and hearing the journey you've been on I mean also the fact that who knows you as well always that, that phrase of who knows you is is, is incredible and um, uh, you know they came back to you that's like your work had that much impact that they came back to you which was because they could have picked anyone right they could have they could have picked any videographer anywhere yeah. I mean I think I'm always quite humble and transparent about these things you know I think social media is a great way to make yourself look like you are bigger than what you are you know, it's very easy to look at some of my photos and think, oh, wow, like, he's doing this with that person or he's doing that. And I, Dickie probably would have said the same. You know, it's like he shot some incredible people, but just because it's on his social media doesn't mean he's best mates with them. He's there to do a job. Do you know what I mean? And I'm very like that. I'm very honest about these things that you can go and take photos of some of these people and they will never remember you again. And that's absolutely fine because... I'm not there to be their friend, I'm there to do a job. And I think that's kind of, I would say, has maybe done me well with, say, like Soapbox. You know, they're a purely sports-based agency. So they only deal in sport. So, I mean, I am interested in the people they look after. I'm not so much always interested in the sport, perhaps, but the people themselves are what impresses me and what amazes me. So I think Soapbox have kind of seen, well, the good thing about Ad is that he actually doesn't know who a lot of these people are initially. So he's not interested in asking for selfies or trying to be the best mate because he doesn't know who they are. So it, it kind of works in your favour. But yeah, I think, as you said, it, it's, you know, people respect people. And if you work hard for someone, they should return the favour to you in continual work. So yeah, goes full circles. Do you, do you believe in karma? I've started to. I think it doesn't always yeah. work when you want it to. Um that's why I always think if you just work as hard as you can and be as fair with people as you can and, you know, give people too many chances and forgive them for not paying you on time and stuff, it all comes full circle eventually. But yeah, I think again, all you can do is just be the best version of yourself and hope that that gets rewarded. I love it. I love that. Um, yeah, that's, that's wicked. I love, I love hearing your journey and your story because, like you say, you, you can look at your profile online and see that you've done stuff with Anthony Joshua. Seen, seen, you've been to these amazing fights and you haven't seen all the hard work behind it. You haven't seen you know, all the... No, the and I think clubs. that is the... Yeah, exactly. That is the thing of it is like, again, you know, this is my job. I make things for people to help advertise a product or a service and I do that for myself you're always gonna show the best things. You're always gonna show, oh, I was in New York. Oh, I was in Saudi Arabia. I've been Australia. It's like, all right, yeah, it's all very well and good. But like, I mean, my family, my friends, my girlfriend would, would say, you know, all he does is complain. Like, <laughs> sitting on trains, you know, like I live in a town called Mould in North Wales. You could not be any further away from where the action is. <laughs> so with that comes traveling, sitting in your car for four hours at a time, you know, staying in rubbish hotels, all of that comes with it. And I love it. Like I, that's the thing that I love the most is that 
it grinds you down and it keeps you going. It's it's not a glamorous job. And again, Dickie would say the same. Another photographer I work with, Mark Robinson, who's an incredible photographer. He's been doing this for years. He lives the exact same in terms of traveling and working, very similar to what I do. And he works with some incredible people, like as an actual photographer for them. And it's, we're always saying, you know, it, it's not what people think. Mm. You know, if it was that good, I wouldn't be living in mold. I can tell you that right now. I'd be living in a mansion <laughs> in an island. You know, it's 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 a lot of hard work and a lot of hours to go unseen. I'm not going to show some. I'm not going to show people me editing in Saudi Arabia in a horrible hotel room at four o'clock in the morning because that's not glamorous. And no one wants I to see should, that. You know. No one cares. I, I want to so, see that. Yeah, but I mean that's it. You know, some creatives <laughs> do, but your everyday person. Yeah. They're, they're not bothered. They want to see the good stuff, and rightly so. So there's a lot to it. There is a lot to it. And I would just, I think that'd be my one advice to people is don't take it on face value, you know, anything. That, I mean, not just work creatively. It's, none of it's real. Mm. It's all fake to an extent. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, even like AJ gets a knockout and you just see that one picture. You've not probably seen the 12 rounds beforehand of him getting punched in the face pretty hard. You know, in anything, there's always a lot that comes before it or behind the scenes that you're not seeing. So that would definitely be my big piece of advice is like none of it's real at all. Just take it with a pinch of salt, you know? Do you think there's any value in showing showing like the process behind your work? Because I, I was speaking to designers about it. And like I, I think showing your showing all the um all the sketches, all of the stuff, and it, it also brings up the value of your of your work as well, because clients can understand the value a bit more. I think if you showed it though. Yeah, so I've started doing a thing now. I just bought a little 360 camera where I stick it on top of my camera or just clamp it to a desk or if I'm on a train or whatever. And I've done a couple of them where I'll show the start of my day to the end of the day. Mm. And sometimes that start of the day is me because I'm about two hours away from London on a train. So that could be me waking up at five to get on a train at half six. So you're showing that journey and then you'll probably start working on the train because you think, well, actually, I'm awake now. So you start working. And if you show all of that and then the shoot itself... And then the client will probably say, well, we need this for tomorrow morning. He'd be like, okay, yeah, cool. And I don't even blink anymore. It's like, well, yeah, why wouldn't you? It's normal. So then you'll show you checking into your hotel that it's probably not the greatest because you're paying for it yourself. So you do that. Then you show that, you show the editing, you show that it's like 2 a.m. that you're finishing. You've always been awake at that point for like 20 hours and you've worked and you've got on the underground and you've done it. It's, It's crazy. And I think when you do show that, I found in terms of engagement, People do love it because I think, wow, that's a lot of work. Yeah. And I, you know, the best compliment that people ever say to me, and I've, I get it a lot, and I'm, I mean, it's kind of sad, really, in a way. But when people say to me, like, do you ever take a break? Like, or over Christmas, the running thing was, have you even been in work today? And it was like Christmas Day. You know, it's like, well, yeah, you're laughing, but I've probably checked my emails today just to be sure. You know, I think that's it. People do value hard work. And that has, again, gotten me clients. You know, it, it's, you know, people respect hard work if they see it. So, yeah, I do once in a while. It's a bit of a backhanded complaint when I do it. I'm like, look how hard I work, <laughs> you know, like, but people do appreciate. And I think from a creative point of view, I think it's great to show the process. Like I put one video, out, I'll send it to you, where it was how I did an effect. Because that's such a big thing on YouTube is tutorials. Like, yeah. That's how I learn most things. And I just did a little clip of that and it was just did insane because it was just like, oh, that's how you do it. I value that. 
So I think there's two ends of the spectrum. People like to see what they think is an incredible life and then they like to see the hard work and how you do things. So yeah, 100%. I always think people should document how they do things and document your journey because I'd say with ASM, I am a real. I always want to come across as realistic as possible. Like I've been doing this three and a half years now. I started in the back bedroom in my mum's house. I then went and worked in a friend's gym because he had a spare room and I had too much kit to stay at home. And then at the end of last year, I found a person who would rent me out a proper office space in a proper office building. So, and that people are interested by that because they can see that, no, he's been from humble beginnings and he still is, you know what I mean? So yeah, I think all that behind the scenes stuff goes a long way to people. Like it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, absolutely. So what's next for you? That's what I want to know next is like office space. Are you going to move out of North Wales? Like, what's the next idea? Uh, nah, 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 nah. I, I toyed with the idea. Um, I, I was very close at one point about two years ago when I worked for Soapbox of moving to London. But I think I just missed it. Just an age thing and a confidence thing. You know, I think if you'd asked me when I was 22, I'd been like, yeah, of course I'm going to London. But now... I don't feel the need to do it. I think I think London especially is it's always the talking point. It's a great place to go if you're trying to build um your portfolio or, or build contacts or something like that. But I've kind of built the contacts that I want and I'll still happily get on a train to London tomorrow morning if someone calls me, I'll go and do it. It doesn't bother me that. So in terms of moving, no, I think, again, toyed with the idea of moving back to Sheffield and, and stuff, but I've kind of built a bit of a life myself back home now after three years, you know, settled down a little bit here and got some my best friends live here, my mum's still here, so, yeah, I don't I don't know, I, I, I don't know, I should probably have a plan, really, this is always something that comes up, it's like, what are you doing, I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> whatever, so, I, yeah, I, I'm a bit of a believer in just playing it day to day I don't believe in five year plans because there's no way five years ago I thought I'd be doing this the idea of five years ago was to be married and have a kid by now and that's not happening so yeah I don't know just keep growing it I never want to employ anybody I don't think I'm that has too much business responsibility for me I never want to be that person that says I can't afford to pay you today I'm gonna have to let you go and you know there's I don't think again going back to what you first said about social media I don't think there is lots and lots of money in it. I think, you know, if I need help with something, it's carrying a bag or moving a light or setting up a microphone. I have a few great friends here who'll do that for free or for 50 pounds. Do you know what I mean? And I want to do that. Like, I'm glad I can do that to help them or if they're just interested in it, you know, and some of them are interested in sport. So if they actually get to come and meet someone, then great. Like I was doing, uh, Bradley Wiggins was doing one of his talks um, and Soapbox asked me to go down and shoot it, and I've worked with them a few times, and I was like able to get my friends tickets to that. So I'm like, that's great. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't get many privileges with my job in terms of handing them on to someone else. So it's nice to do things like that. And I just think if I moved to London, I would just I'm hooked on work now. I would be an abuser of work if I stayed there. I'd just be like, Ugh. so no, I'm quite happy with my quiet little life in Mould, and then just being busy and going. So yeah, no, who knows, but we'll see, we'll see. Oh yeah, 100%. So I always wanted to get into music. That was always my big thing, because I want to be a music photographer. 
And it's funny, actually, I shared a post on this, literally, you know, everyone was doing all oh, this decade challenge thing of how they looked. I was like, well, I looked a lot better 10 years ago, obviously. I'm not going to talk about that. I talked about my, my job. And in 2000, and thing, I think it must have been 2003, 2004, there's a photographer, very famous photographer now called Tom Barnes, who's a does music photography, and he's just incredible at it. He is still someone I look up to. And at the time, he was based in London still, but had loads of connections with like kind of rock emo bands, and I was still am dead into all that type of music. And he put on his Twitter, I'm looking for someone to come and assist me on a shoot in Sheffield, which is where I lived, is shooting the new Drop Dead range, which is a clothing company that's owned by the lead singer of Bring Me The Horizon. And at the time I was like, oh my God, I have to do this. And I was like, yeah, 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 can I do it, can I do it? And unbelievably, he emailed me back and said, yeah, great, it's this, 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 and this. So it was two weeks later. Yeah. And then, um, but two weeks later, I then went to visit a friend in Cardiff who was at uni there and we'd gone on a night out. And they were like, oh, just why don't you stay one more night? I was like, no, no, I've got this shoot tomorrow. Like, it's like, bring me the horizon. And um, stupidly, for some unknown reason, I was like, you know what? Staying in Cardiff, going out with my mates is more important than doing this shoot. And a bit of that thing that I was slagging off before about oh, people think they need money to do work and don't do work for free. I had, and that's the only time I've had it, where I went, no, I'm better than this. No, you know what? Life's all about experiences and I'm going to stay here and just go on the lash with my mates. And I emailed him back and I shared this email the other day. I sent him some pathetic excuse that, oh, sorry, I'm letting him down and shut short notice and all this. I was like, but if you ever need me again, just drop me an email. <laughs> From that day, I knew, I think I looked back on it when I was graduating a year later thinking, what an idiot, like what a tool. Because if someone emailed that to me now, I'd be like, don't ever email me again. Do you know what I mean? So going back to my dream client, I would like to work with Bring Me The Horizon and I actually had a chance to do it. But now, yeah, that's gone. So I would like to work with in more music. I actually thought, I thought you were going to say, yeah, it went really well. And No, it went terrible. <laughs> but I think that's my biggest life lesson is like, you close the door. I am so, so lucky that I can look back now and say, I regret that. I don't have many regrets in my life, but that is a big regret. But, I don't sit and mope about it. If I wasn't doing that and I was doing a job I hated, I'd be like, that would eat me up. But I got very lucky that I learned from it. So yeah, anyone in music really. I mean, I worked on Eddie Hearn's podcast and we were very lucky to work with Noel Gallagher. And that was that was the one time I've nearly asked someone for a selfie. But it was only because he was so terrifying and I'm so professional that I didn't. But I was like, oh my God, you're the reason I learned guitar. So yeah, Noel Gallagher would be cool. Um, but yeah, just anyone in music, to be honest, that'd be great. So if anyone's watching, and uh, <laughs> they need Noel Gallagher's watching <laughs> for some reason, yeah, that'd be, cool. that'd be incredible. Um, I'd rather ask Liam Gallagher, yeah, Liam for a selfie. I think he, he seems like the more approachable guy. Yes, hundred percent, hundred percent. What's your best purchase under hundred pounds? Doesn't have to be camera related. Doesn't have to be film related or design or whatever related. Could be anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundred under a hundred pounds. My God, I don't think anything in my work costs under a hundred pounds. Yeah, that's that's the thing. That's why it can't be like creative. <laughs> that's a good question. Um, my God, give me a minute. Oh, I tell you what, actually, it's really boring and really nerdy. Is um, I bought 
uh, a hard drive. It's the, because when I started, I was storing everything on my MacBook and and stuff, and it was just you can't do it in video. It's too big. Like one shoot will not fit on a like. I think now typically one shoot is about two hundred gigabytes. Damn. Yeah. So wow. so you end up with. Like literally, I've got a cupboard full of them there, about 20 portable hard drives. But I think the first one I bought, they weren't cheap. They were like 90 pounds a go for a terabyte. So yeah, bit of a boring one, but yeah, hard drive. How unexciting is that? I, I love hard drive. I've got like a stack. There you go, it's, it's, it's free right here. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, you end up just having stacks and stacks, don't you? Uh, almost like collectible. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. If I, if I lost them one day, I'd be gutted. It's like my life. It is, yeah. I got loads of folders just for the years um, on my current hard drive, and it's great to flick through them every now and then. Um, oh, yeah. It was like definitely. yesterday, two days ago, I created the 2020 folder. I was like, ah, oh, the new year. <laughs> yeah, it's a new year. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And you're the, you're the first podcast of the new year as well, so you'll be in a separate folder. Oh, am I? Oh, geez. Well, you can only get better from here then. You'll be all right. Um, but do you have any, uh, I mean, I've talked a lot of advice already, but do you have any um, sort of final life advice or any life advice that stuck, uh, st- sticks out? Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't think it gets much more. I don't really feel I'm qualified to give life advice. But I'd say for someone, because I'd like to think I'm still relatable to people who are twenty years old and above. Um, I would just say just work. It doesn't matter if it's not linked to what you want to do. It just just doesn't matter if you've got money behind you that no one's borrowed you and there's no interest on that you can just spend on whatever you want. Then I think you'll be fine. Like I, I worked a lot of Saturday jobs in a lot of different places, and if I hadn't have done that, a I wouldn't have had the money, but b I wouldn't have worked out what I don't want to do in life, which I think is actually harder than knowing what you want to do, because there is just so much choice now. You can be whatever you want to be in theory, apart from being you know someone like a doctor or an astronaut. You can do most things within a few years. You can get there. But I think even more so with being creative, there's not really a qualification that makes you good. It just shows that you've attained a certain level. So I would just say work, work and work and work. And when people are saying to you about work experience, because I remember being sat in school listening to like, oh, we should do work experience. I was like, nah, don't need it. I'll be fine. You do. Like I would not entertain someone coming to assist me on a shoot if I didn't see work. And I don't care if it was wildlife photography or food photography or just photography that they've done on their iPhone. If you can see that someone's got an eye for something or has that drive, great. You know, I don't think it, you know, because some people do work and they don't have a lot of money. You know, you don't understand people's circumstances. But if they've shown that they've tried something and they've got an eye for it, I would give anyone an opportunity because what, what is better than that really? So just work. It's just simple. I don't think there's anything more complicated to that. There's no shortcuts. There's no one ladder. There's no one route. You've just got to, yeah, just work. And it sucks. It really does. But it'll pay off in the end, I think. Yeah. Apparently. We'll see. <laughs> I, think, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, yeah. I mean, there's so many people coming out of, of university and they get a job uh, description and they says like, two years experience. It's like, well, I catch 22, isn't it? It's like, yeah. But, well, I mean, I, yeah, I, that's where it's flawed. That's where I don't no, agree with how 
Like, like you did though, like you've got the experience because you did it outside whilst you're in university. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Yeah, and no, I hear what you're saying. I think it's perhaps in those, you know, again, I was like, well, I'm not going to get into an agency because they wanted, at that time, it wasn't very forward thinking. They were like two years graphic design experience on this level. It's like, what? So it's not an entry level job then, is it? So I took a different route. I was like, well, if I work in something that's kind of related to video, very loosely, then I'm on the right track. And then in with Toyota, I was getting closer and closer to actually making. So yeah, I think you're right. You have to go and create your own experiences and your own opportunities because they don't come knocking. They really don't. I think you have to go out and find people and knock on people's doors and ask them, what can I do for you type thing. No, I agree. I agree. I think it's, it's too easy for, for, I mean, I didn't go to university, but I could be talking about my ass here. I think it's too easy just to get sucked into not doing anything else apart from the degree. Yeah. Of course. I think it's like, and I think more and more like the bits I do at Chef Hallam, they put a big emphasis on, forget about the marks you need to get. This is about building a portfolio because if you do nothing else outside of here, you've got something. Which I think is good, you know, which is what they should be doing. It's very good teaching me how to design something in Photoshop, but how do I apply that to get a job? So I think, yeah, take everything. If you do go into further education, then great, good for you. I think use that to your advantage. And moving cities was the best thing that ever happened to me. I learned everything from working in nightclubs and sitting at home on YouTube, learning how to do things, as well as my degree to kind of help that. So I'd say just push all your learning as much as you can, but that learning will come through experience. So not everyone's in a position to go to university and I'm a, and I don't think everyone should feel that pressure to do it. It was right for some people, it's wrong for others. So whatever you think is right, that I think that's what you can do is just based on whatever you're doing at that time, if it feels right based on facts and figures, then just do that. Because you, you can't look back after and go, that was the wrong thing to do. If you thought about it and it feels right, do it, you know, as long as you're not putting yourself at risk, why not, you know? Tough advice. Uh, so the last question I'll ask everyone is, how do you want to be remembered? Uh, yes, sorry, um, it's such a deep question. No, no, it's all right. Um, I don't know, someone who just worked hard, loved what he did, um, was an all right bloke, that'll be fine. If someone just said I'm an all right fella, I'd be happy with that. But I think, yeah, I'd like to be remembered for what the work I've done. I don't think I'm ever going to make an impact on the world or, you know, have a huge stamp on someone's life. But if, you know, because I think that's the one thing I will have is hundreds and hundreds of hard drives with loads of my work on. And I think that's how people remember me because that is all I will have. You know what I mean? I've not been traveling. I've not done all that. So the stuff I have is is my work. And I think, yeah, I'd like, you know, because... I get a kick out of people saying, oh, how's ASM? Like, I've built this by myself with no to, well, little to no help, really. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say I'd just like to be remembered as someone who's worked probably way too hard. And that's probably why the reason we're remembering him is because he's dead, is that he worked himself to an early grave. <laughs> but, yeah, just working hard and being an all right person in the process is good enough for me. I love it. Uh, thank you very much for being on the podcast. It's, it's been a really good talk to you. Mate, no, thank you for having me on. It's been awesome. Uh, where can people find you on the internet and uh, check out your social medias? Um, you can find me. All my social media is at Adam Southwell. Facebook is Adam Southwell Media. My website is adamsouthwell.com. Um, and the new site goes live at the end of this month, which is January. 
Nice. So don't go on it until then because it looks crap. But <laughs> after that, by all means, go on it. So yeah, at Adam Southwell for everything. Wicked. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. So, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope it was a good one. Uh, I think it was. I mean, all episodes aren't they? But this really was a good one. Um, I really connected with, uh, with Adam and the hard work you have to put in to get where you are. And uh, yeah, it, it's awesome to, to hear someone that's doing it for a university as well um, and shows that you can do it for a university, uh, not just, you know, not, there's other ways around it. It's not just going out on your own straight away um, and just opening up the opportunities and different paths that you could go on uh, on your journey, on a creative journey. And uh, just some of the cool stuff he did as well, like, like renting the car, um, do that promotional advert, uh, working for the funeral company. Um, yeah, it's a really, really cool, uh, really cool story. So if you did like this episode, please do share it on social media. Take a screenshot and share it on Instagram stories. Tag at Creative Waffle. Um, send a tweet out. You know, every little helps. Everything that you, you share around and um, get the word out there really does help the podcast. Um, subscribe on iTunes, uh, YouTube, everywhere. That'd be great. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, we really do need to get it up this year. I'm, I'm pushing for um, talk, talking uh, back to you guys and, and the community and um, just really, yeah, just really building it into more of a community and, and pushing the numbers up as well. So thank you very much. I'll uh, see you next week for another episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast.